The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Psalm, verse 24, chapter 24, verse 1. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, and the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Chapter 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none of who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your, for your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress 
consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins and consider how my foes are many and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all of his troubles. The message today is entitled, The Three Stages of Life. The Three Stages of Life. Let's pray. Lord, I know that life passes quickly, easily misunderstood, easily thought to be about making myself happy with no regard for your glory. You deserve that for which you died. You deserve the reward of men and women who will say, Yes, Lord, I will bring glory to you in my life. And I will turn aside from seeking my own happiness, that your justice and your mercy can be clearly seen. Lord, break every lie of humanism in our hearts. Deal to the very bottom today with the natural wickedness of every man and woman's being that we would be redeemed by your blood and remade in your likeness. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. In First John, the second chapter, our passage of Scripture today is found in verses 15 through 17. First John, the second chapter, I'll begin reading with verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. There are in this passage three consecutive steps that every one of us has either gone through or is going through. It is almost as though it has laid out for us the primary temptations of every age. And as we look at those temptations, if they're not overcome, we will drag one load of temptation from one part of our life into the next part of our life and into the final part of our life where finally everything will collapse and our life will be wasted and unused. What is the first the first great temptation, the first great struggle of youth. Guys, do you remember when you first started to notice that women didn't look like you? They had different curves and different shapes. And something started to stir inside of your being, and you didn't understand what it was about, but you knew something was going on. Or how long have you said, girls are yucky? Until they weren't. And then you were in the full throes of the first challenge of a man's life. How will you deal with lust in your heart? And the same is true for you gals. Boys are bullies. Immature. Imbecilic. 
don't want anything to do with them. When I was a kid, they used to say, boys are made out of snails and nails and puppy dog tails. And they said that the girls were made out of sugar and spice and everything nice. I never liked that as a kid. I didn't see why I should be made of puppy dog tails. But in reality, as we began to mature, a great challenge began to come into our lives. Will we walk clean before God? Will we see sexual drives as something to be used to make us happy, to satisfy a flesh nature? Or will we allow the sexual drive to begin to move us as appropriate into intimate relationships, that one called marriage, where a man no longer looks at a woman as an object of lust, but begins to look at her as God's gift and begins to look at her as someone to become one with, one flesh with. When man said, when I'm with my wife and I'm intimate with her, I'm never thinking about her. I'm thinking about other women. He didn't realize when he said that to me that what he was really saying was, I don't know how to be intimate with another person. I only know how to use people. Now, what happens is the sexual drive is ignited. And if that sexual drive is then moved into using another person and satisfying that desire in another person and not allowing that to bind my spirit to them as one in Jesus Christ, then I am misusing, I am sinning against God with that sexual urge that he put in my soul. There's nothing unclean about sex. There's nothing unclean about a sexual desire. What becomes unclean is when I desire to use that to satisfy myself because the highest good is that I must be happy according to humanism. And if she makes me happy, that's all I want. Just make me happy. Do what I want you to do. Be what I want you to be. And we're going to have a great time together. That's sin against God. And this great issue of sexuality must become central in our choosing what we are going to do with Jesus. Because the next natural inclination is that I can use Jesus as a means to be happy. Jesus is not an add-on to a life already full. It's possible to think that because most men and women only go halfway with Jesus. And then they stop. And they say, I can continue to maintain my own life. But I can have the add-on of Jesus and he will make me happy. Because what it's really all about is me. And my happiness. And so an 85-year-old man and his wife I take to Walmart. He says, Esther, would you pull down to the front of Walmart and we can sit there and wait for Mama? Okay. So we're sitting there and I say, why do you want to drive down here in front? He said, so I can see all the pretty girls. 85. Is old age a preventative? 
against sin? No. A man can be 85, utterly dead physically, but his mind is still alert, filled with lust, filled with fornication, because he never dealt with the sin of lust way back here in the very beginning of his life as a young man. He never came to terms with what it means to be morally upright before God. So in spite of the opportunities to turn away from sexual lust, he was never able to do it. Instead, he satisfied his heart's desire. He had his adventures. There is a second place that we immediately begin to move as we are married and begin to live. It's a drive as strong as the sex drive. And that is to begin to accumulate stuff. To begin to get the house and the car and the furniture and the clothes. We want to begin to accumulate all of these things that will make us happy, quote, unquote. I know some who say, I don't care a thing about cars, I don't care a thing about houses, I don't care a thing about stuff. Why? Because they're stuck at the entrance to growing up and maturing because they're still stuck back here in their sexual lust. And they never progress. And so they can get married, live an unclean life, and never progress into the challenge of this second stage of life. And again, the second stage of life has to be dealt with as the first stage of life is dealt with. A man and a woman can go and accumulate all of their stuff, and then they can go and live their life as they choose, but that is not the way of Jesus Christ. It's not the way of the cross. So just as the lust issue for the young has to be recognized as an invitation to become one with one woman or one man and bind their hearts together, if that is not done, they will miss Jesus So they now are in the second stage of life and they begin to accumulate everything. This too must be dealt with with the cross of Jesus where all is renounced for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where it's come to our hearts clearly that life is not about an abundance of stuff. Life is not about building stuff for ourselves. It's about the kingdom of God. And very quickly, then comes the third stage of life, which is you've laid your stuff in the barn, you've got your retirement, you have your savings, you have your house, you have your car. Now you want to travel. Now that's all you want to do. I can't tell you how many retired military guys I talk to, bird colonels and higher. All they want to do is travel the world now. That's their desire. They've got the retirement from the government. They've got it made. They just want to retire and travel. Well, what did they do? When they're with their family, they regale them. And when they're with their friends, they regale them with all of the stories of their adventures. They brag about what they have and what they've done and where they've been. 
And did you know that if you can go on a river cruise, you're slightly ahead of the guys that just take the regular 3,000 herd cruises? So you're in a crowd, and if you can talk about the most recent trip down the Seine, you're somebody. What idiocy. You know the river that I'm planning on traveling in? It flows from the throne of God. It's the river of life. Again, in this third stage of life, the challenge is very clear. Will I boast in Jesus Christ and not in what I've done and who I am? And will the way I live be reflective for other people so that they will see that my heart is with Jesus and not with my Mercedes? Humanism says that the highest goal of a man's life is that he should be happy. And happiness comes out of a word in America called consumption. And you all recognize that for many years, consumption was defined as tuberculosis, a terminal illness. Consumption is still a terminal illness. And it's destroying our nation. And God's judgment is coming upon this nation. And the wealth of this nation is being stripped away. So there are three stages of life. And each of these three stages have to be met by the same person. Jesus Christ. Each of these three stages of life are difficult and require a battle. Because a man who is in this second stage of life, it's here in 1 John. The first is the desire of the flesh. The second is the desire of the eyes. And the third is the pride of life. The desire of the eyes, the teenager who only lusted after the beautiful girls, never growing up will go into the second stage of life and will lust after money and power and prestige. It's the same deal. And go into the third stage of life, and now he doesn't have the strength for the conquest. He may be 85 years old, but he's going to sit in the car and lust after the pretty girls who are younger than his daughters. It's insanity. And only the cross of Jesus Christ has the answer for each of these three stages of life. Only the cross. And it requires a person to consciously look at the stage of life they're in and to ask the question, am I only willing to go halfway with Jesus? You can go halfway with Jesus and still walk in lust. You can go halfway with Jesus and still accumulate honor to yourself by your possessions and your power. You can go halfway with Jesus and still boast about your favorite football team and about how great you are and about your wonderful adventures. And you notice sometimes the kids say, Dad, we've heard that story a thousand times. Well, you're going to hear it a thousand and one times because it's true and I'm the man. Come on. I mean, isn't it time we take the glasses off and start looking at the reality of the human existence 
and begin to recognize how many times we've been around this mulberry bush. I mean, how many times do we have to wear the track around the mulberry bush of lust or possessions or of bragging about who we are? And of course, then, just to add spice to it, we get a lot of fighting and bitterness in the midst of all of this. To make it seem like it's a little different. Where do we come to a point in our lives where we finally say, I'm ready to lay my whole life down at the cross of Jesus Christ. I see I'm making these staged positions through my life. And if I continue in these current staged positions through my life, I will not be fit to enter the kingdom of heaven. There has to be a radical change where I say the goal of man is not to be happy. The goal of man is to glorify God, to serve his kingdom. You know, how much time, guys, are we going to spend on this earth? If we're blessed, 80, 90, maybe 100 years. But we plan on spending a million years on the other side. I mean, shouldn't we take the blinders off and stop pretending that we live now in eternity and that we can be God? I'm not God. I'm a creature. I mean, this week, I went to visit one of you in the hospital. I enjoyed my time immensely talking and praying and sharing. But that night, became violently ill. I won't describe in detail, but you can imagine. It was all happening. I'm saying just a little, just a little bug when I went in the bathroom to wash my hands. Or when I sat in the chair and my arms were touching where some sick person had sat just before me. Just this little bug stole three days out of my week. And I think I'm somebody. I think I'm strong. I can't even compete with this little critter that I couldn't see. I mean, somewhere we've got to give up the illusion that life is about us. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. He is not going to fit into our lifestyle. We are either going to fit into his, or we will not fit at all. So which stage are you in today? The most dreadful stage is to be in the third stage, where you drug your sexual lust out of the first stage, still using people, moved into the second stage, used people, maybe not sexually there, but you used them to get money and power and prestige, and now you're in the third stage of life, and all you can talk about is how wonderful life has been and what a great person you are and what you're going to do with it and what you're going to travel with. And God says, tonight your life is required. And then who's going to get all the stuff you laid up? for your wonderful river cruise on the Seine. Somewhere we've got to come to terms with the cross of Jesus Christ. America has refused. And you know what? America is now in the third stage of life. All America can do today is brag about how great it has been. We're not great anymore. Our economy is totally blown out. Our manufacturing has moved to Mexico or China. America's in that third stage. We've done our traveling. We've fought our wars. We're ready for the judgment of God. I don't know about you, but that makes me weep. I don't want the judgment of God to fall on America. I want America to be remade in righteousness and holiness. I want God to rescue us. The end purpose of man is to glorify God. 
to walk in righteousness, to turn aside from the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and the boasting of what we have and what we do. We have not arrived until we arrive at the cross of Jesus and are born from above. Now, I can't pretend that every one of us in this room today are struggling primarily in one of those three areas. And your task is to honestly face your condition before a holy, just, and righteous God and let him deal faithfully with your heart as he calls you to repent or he calls you to grow. Now, there is a frightening word I'm even shy of sharing with you, but I'm going to. It's found in Romans. It's found in Romans, the first chapter. I invite you to turn with me. And I'm going to share with you from two different translations. In Romans, the ESV translation, in chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So these three stages of life each hold in them the power to suppress the truth of God by believing that the purpose of man's life is to be happy instead of to be glorifying God. Then look at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. So if you believe that the chief aim of life is for you to be happy, you are worshiping the creature, not the Creator. And then it says, when you take that position against the kingdom of God, God will take a position with you where he begins to do something in the concrete realm about your life. It won't be by chance. It will be by the decision of God. You will have no argument against him. You will not be able to object. It will simply be done to you. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to the impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. So homosexuality, transgenderism, lesbianism, fornication, pornography, all of those areas of sexual uncleanness will sweep over a person's life and literally take them over. In the second stage of life, where a person gives themselves over once more to the worshiping of the creature instead of the creator, the same thing will take place. God will allow the lust for money to begin to overtake a person's life and consume every thought of their day. They will begin to push aside that wife or that husband. They will push aside the children. They will focus entirely on building their kingdom. That is an act of God in giving them over to the darkness. Notice verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, 
evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossipers, they're slanders, they're haters of God. They're insolent, they're haughty, they're boastful, they're inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This is what God is saying he will give you over to. It's not that you go and choose that, but because you choose to worship the creature instead of the creator, he will bring this to pass in your life. I've watched over and over in men and women's lives, and I can say this to you because of my age today. I have watched men and women as they live out their lives, finally coming to a place where they are utterly given over to their darkness and there is no redemption for them because they have been given over to impurity. They've been given over to every unclean thing in their heart. They don't like who they are. They hate who they are. They say, I don't want to be like this anymore, but God won't deliver me. They'll come to church. They'll pray. Nothing happens. They leave and they're worse than they were before they came to church. Because they have given themselves over by the power of God. He said, I'm done. You want to live this way? Go live this way. And he does that out of mercy and kindness to say, look, if you don't want to serve the creator, go get your fill of the creature. And when you're full, come back and humble your heart and I'll restore you. And I'll save you. It's not a journey you want to take. It is not a journey of pleasure. It is a journey of utmost sorrow and brokenness. In the Welsh revival, Duncan Campbell recounts over a hundred young people at a dance. Men and women are praying, searching after God. The power of God is falling over the nation. And suddenly the power of God falls on these young people. And they literally run from the dance hall for the church. Duncan Campbell is called and he makes his way to the church. And he takes his Bible and he begins to ascend the steps to the pulpit. But he can't get there because on the floor, in front of that or behind that pulpit, lies a young woman. And she's crying out, is there any mercy for me? Is there any mercy for me? Oh, we can in our pride scorn the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We can in our pride and our arrogance and our determination to make ourselves happy think life is always going to be this way and I'm going to live my life and I'm going to fulfill my desires. But when God comes, it's, oh, is there any mercy for me? Is there any mercy for me? And for some, the answer will be no, because they get up too quickly and go on their way, because they have obligations to fulfill to bring about their happiness. They have social obligations. They have work obligations, and they have to do what they have to do to be happy. I'm sick of happy people. I'm sick of people who go about their jobs day by day, fulfilling the lust of their heart, because I know what their end will be. They're going to come to the end, and they're going to regale us with their adventures, and then they're going to slip into hell. I don't want to live that way. I don't want you to live that way. I want the power of God to come. We're finally we begin to use our mind to understand 
the journey through life. And we begin to see in the scripture that journey is laid out and it's a progressive journey. And if we've grabbed the lust of youth and we've combined that with the lust of accomplishment and we drag all of that into the end and the pride of life, what hope is there for us? Positive thinking says, there's got to be some way through. I'll find it. No, you won't. Because it says that God takes an active decision. Romans 1.26, because of this, God handed them over to the uncontrolled sexual passions of dishonor. Romans chapter 2, verse 3. And do you suppose this, O man, the one judging the ones practicing such things and doing them, that you will escape the judgment of God? Oh no, no one escapes the judgment of God. It is here for all of us. And you must decide how you're going to handle these three stages of your life. Each one a separate challenge. Each one difficult, requiring you to take up the cross of Jesus Christ in a new way. We don't move from the cradle to the grave without very clear understanding that it is a progressive journey. And in the end, there is the judgment of God. And we will be held accountable for what we have said and done. Verse 5, but according to your hardness and impertinent heart, you are heaping up wrath for yourself in a day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment from God. So today we're faced with the reality of needing to grow up in Jesus. To recognize that the purpose of man is not to be happy. Purpose of man to glorify God, not to please ourselves or our flesh. Lord, I ask that you would not give us up and cast us into the wickedness of this world, but that today you would work in marvelous power to awaken each of us that we would know where we stand in righteousness before your throne. Lord, all that I've spoken has not been surprising to these dear ones, for your Holy Spirit has already been speaking to them about these issues. But many have brushed off your soft voice and have charged on in their own way, thinking that they could have the freedom to do whatever they wanted to do. Lord, I pray today for your gracious hand of mercy. For today is the day of salvation. Today, O Lord, you said, was the day of salvation. Lord, let this word spoken resonate in our hearts and cause a soberness to break through the drunkenness of the lust of our flesh. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. We're a house church located in Woodbridge, Virginia. Our mailing address is Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. Come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. I hear the voice of my Redeemer. He's calling me to walk with Him. And when in life the load I bear is heavy, Gives me strength to rise again. 
He's by my side, giving me the courage, placing his peace into my soul. He says I'm here to help you on a journey, the path we're on. Oh.